1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Guided Spirit Conversations. I'm Marla Goldberg, and it's November. Can you believe it already? Thank God, Election Day is over. Now we just have to sit and wait for the results. So I hope now we can put all our divisiveness aside, we can accept each other, and just really respect the fact that everybody has their own opinion, and it may not align with ours, but it's theirs, and they have a right to it. Anyway, welcome. I have a Southsider from Chicago, Gary Ramsey with me. And Gary, well, I'm from Chicago, so there's a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gary had a near-fatal cancer diagnosis in the summer of 2015. And there were they were absolutely no. I mean, I'm going to say never no. after our conversation, Gary, no okay. options really available to him. And... His life just went upside down, so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about his book, um, Bliss, One Hero's Journey, because it's his journey from the diagnosis to being here five years later after being told he could die at any moment, and the whole spiritual process that goes along with that transition. Welcome, Gary.
2: Oh, well, thank you so much, Marla. It's such a pleasure to be here.
1: I'm so happy to have you here. And the conversation we were having prior to coming on, it was just amazing. So let's start with you were, it was the summer of 2015. You were singing opera. Yes. I didn't mention it, but you were an opera singer.
2: I was an opera singer.
1: Yep. And you went to the doctor because you had something.
2: Yes, which I didn't think was anything too major. I thought I knew there was a problem. And, uh, I wanted to check it out. And one of the biggest things is I started losing weight faster than normal. And that was really the first tip-off.
1: Oh, God. And so that's something we all want to do. But not to be because we're sick. We just all want to lose weight. (laughs) 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 Just just take it off naturally. Just melt (laughs) it. But so you went to the doctor about this step to find out about your weight loss and...
2: And uh after all the test results came back, and there we sat, and he um at first kind of just looked at everything, and then he looked at me, and then he ran out of the office, and I thought, "Whoa, what's that about?" and uh, then um he came back not too long after, and uh, he looks again at the test results, he looks again at everything, and he looks at me and says, "I have to tell you you could die at any minute." and I went what? It didn't even make sense to me. And he said, you can die at any minute. And I said, how is that even possible? And then he proceeded to explain exactly how it was possible. And as I mentioned, I had a deadly tumor from kidney cancer, renal cell cancer, um, He told me uh, that it didn't matter. I I said, well, how can you even tell I have cancer? And he said, well, it doesn't matter. And I I was actually relieved because I thought, oh, I have cancer and it doesn't matter. Okay.
1: (laughs) What a (laughs) different way of thinking about it. What a
2: different way of thinking about this. But then he said, "Um, the cancer is the least of your problems. He said, you have a tumor that's gone through the kidney, through your uh, renal vein, and it's headed up towards your heart. He said, and that is a, uh, a, a, one of the worst possible places that tumor could be. And so I said, well, what can be done about it? And he said, uh, that's the bad news. And I went, that's the bad news. And he said, these kind of operations, he said, are often deadly.
1: Wow.
2: That was my diagnosis.
1: And so... Okay, your reaction—how you, how you do? I'm sure you were like a deer in headlights, in shock.
2: Because I really—I knew something was wrong, but I didn't think it was that wrong. And um, so I—I I, I just basically sat there and I said, "Well, can I have those test results?" Now I don't know why I said that. It was one of those things that flew out of my mouth. He said, "Well, yeah, we can get you copies of all the test results," but he said. I got to tell you, he said, the only hospital I even know of that can even begin to attempt to handle you is Sloan Kettering in New York. And he said, and I'm connected to them. And I said, oh, I said, well, you know, let me have a copy anyway. And um, I said, I don't know what I'm going to really do. He said, well, I, I would advise you to get everything done. You need to get done before you go to the hospital. He said, because I don't think you'll be coming out. Wow. So he really laid it on the line. And I have to tell you, Marla, I was in retrospect very grateful because he didn't beat around the bush. He didn't give me a lot of hope. He told me, you have to tell people, you have to get your affairs in order. He said, "Um, if I were you, I wouldn't let them touch this. I would let them try to operate on it. He said, but the chances of them doing it successfully, he said, are pretty much almost nil. He said, um, you really need to prepare yourself.
1: So you walk out of the doctor's office and?
2: And it was one of the most beautiful days in August I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) It was gloriously beautiful. The Uh air, it was, you know, one of those breezy, balmy days. And I walked. And I walked out of his office and I felt so good just to be out of there because it felt, it felt like I was dying in the office. I mean, I kept hearing all this die, die, death, death. And I felt free. And I couldn't believe how good I actually felt. And I thought, this is odd. I, I'm, I've been told I'm going to die and I feel fantastic. And then I got to this little park at the end of the street. There's this park with all these little kids and their mothers and nannies and
1: And on Chicago Avenue.
2: Yeah. And grandparents, everybody's there. (laughs) And they're all having this wonderful day. And all of a sudden I thought, Oh my God, anybody in this park could die at any minute. And the only difference is I know it and I have proof in my hand and they don't. And I thought, That's astounding. And I can't explain it. But at that moment, even though we know like nobody has a guarantee for tomorrow, it hit me in such a profound way that I went into an experience of what I can only call bliss. I became blissed out. I felt like everything was perfect. I remembered that I sat down on a nearby bench and I can't even tell you how long I was there for. I felt it, uh, super powerful. I felt like there was nothing wrong anywhere in the world, even though I'm sitting there holding this deadly diagnosis. And I don't even know how long I was there, but the, but the thing that woke me up was the name Anita Morjani, whom we were talking about earlier. And for those of you that don't know, Anita was a woman who had a near-death experience. She was supposed to die of end-stage cancer in a cancer hospital. She was about 40 minutes away from dying. And in her near-death experience, she realized she could come back into her body and she could heal her body of cancer, which is exactly what she did. And this is now uh, you know, almost 14 years ago. That's and tough. Anita today is a lecturer She is a a dear uh, uh, person that I know and love. And um, it was her story that I had read about just two years prior to my diagnosis. uh, Three, actually. And um, I thought, oh, my God, Anita survived her deadly cancer. Maybe I can survive mine. And that was the beginning of my journey. My journey in what I would call this unbelievable blissful state, that's really where it began at that very moment.
1: Wow! And so, what was your ne- What were your next steps? Well, you your friends, or did I, you call? First doctors? of all, yeah,
2: my my, my doctor kept mm-hmm. saying you have to tell somebody, so I called my sister, and of course, I learned very quickly. People couldn't believe the diagnosis; it it, it was it, shocking for them to just hear that, and they they would say the same thing as I said to the doctor, how can that be? And then I would have to explain this whole tumor uh, scenario. And then right after my sister and she was devastated, then I, I realized I was doing an opera that I was supposed to do in Dallas, Texas. We were only about three weeks away from opening and I called the producer and I said, we are in huge trouble here. I said, ah, I could die at any minute. He was in shock. And then, of course, he had the whole thing of trying to, you know, get everything in order and on his end. So I was taking care of business. But what was amazing is the more I kept talking to people, the better I kept feeling. And then I get to my, finally, my apartment, which is not that much, maybe an hour and a half later. And uh, I put the key in the door and I think of Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> Dear Farah, who, as we all know, died of her cancer. Yes. And I remembered at the time she had died, they had flown her to Germany. So that was my thought. And I had asked a friend at the time, why would you fly a dying woman to Germany? And they said, oh, Germany has some of the top cancer treatments in the world. And the thought came to me to go upstairs on my computer and look up Germany. And that's exactly what I did. I flew up the stairs, I started researching German clinics for cancer, and all of a sudden this thing pops up on the right side of my screen, which is this, and and I mean, this was astounding to me, it was like a palace, it was a white palace in this very paradise-like setting in the middle of Mexico, not actually in the middle of Mexico, right at the northern border of Mexico, and I looked at it. And I thought, oh, my God, if I'm going to die, I want to die there. (laughs) (laughs) That's the place I want to (laughs) die. Now, when you know, as I keep researching, it's a clinic for cancer. They They deal with cancer. And then as I'm reading, they actually start, they work on difficult cancers. And I thought, oh, my God. Well, I have a difficult cancer. That's what they told me. Uh, (laughs) Tumor is really difficult. Maybe they have something. And so they had a a number, an 800 number that they have a a place here in the States, in Utah. And uh, that was their um, representative. And I called. And this fabulous woman, her name is Micah, gets on the phone. And I started explaining this problem. And I said, you know, this is really bad. Um, This tumor is deadly, da 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 she says oh yes we know about those tumors i said you do (laughs) she goes yes and i said but they're telling me it's rare and they don't happen a lot she said yes it is and i said well then how do you know about it she said well because a lot of people come here because they're unable to get help in the states and i was like you're kidding me and she goes no and so I'm I'm freaking out thinking like how is this possible? And she said the key is um we have to move quickly because it is deadly. She said, "Would you happen to have your um test results and your records with you?" <laughs> I was like, "Yes, I ju- I asked for them." <laughs> and she said, "Isn't that astounding?" She said, What a great frame of mind you must have been in when you got this news. I said, I must have. She said, how long ago was the diagnosis? I said, like two and a half hours ago. (laughs) She's like, you're kidding. And I was like, no. And immediately, you know, and this stuck with me. She said, sir, I'm going to tell you something. You have one of the best attitudes I've ever, ever seen. I've ever witnessed. She said, you are going to be fine. And I said, really? And she said, yes. And she said, everything is going to go well. And um you know, now that you have the test results, we're well, not going to waste any time. And I said, well, good, because I don't have any. <laughs> I have no time. And that was really the beginning of that. that. That is when I realized I was on a very profound journey here. Things were falling into places that were just a- a- astounding.
1: There and it's continued- a lot of synchronicity.
2: The synchronicities were <clears throat> astounding. It continued all the way through my journey. Everywhere I turned, it was like the gates of heaven would just open up for me whenever I was, I was having trouble. And all of a sudden, miracles would just appear out of nowhere. And that was, is, and was one of the most astounding experiences of my life. And I, it has changed me completely.
1: So, I'm going to go back to this the scenario. So, how long when did you take the plane? I am assuming you took a plane to Mexico.
2: I did. I absolutely did. I was diagnosed on a Tuesday and I was on the plane Sunday morning. I was in Mexico by their afternoon. Sunday afternoon.
1: Wow. Yeah. That was fast. So, did you have any thoughts about flying?
2: Yes, they're very bad ones because um this tumor was supposed to be so deadly. The clinic though had told me that tumors um, react to their environments, uh, that they are alive. They are alive, just like everything. They said it's kind of like an organ. And they said, um, what we have to do is we have to starve it. And I said, starve it. And they were like, yeah, you're going to make it a little angry. So what you're going to do is you're not going to eat anything with sugar in it. You are going to stay just on vegetables. And you are going to stay on foods that have no kind of sugar. At all. They said, um, uh, keep away from dairy as well. And they said, and the tumor is going to have to work much harder to be fed. And when it does that, it's not going to be as fragile. That was the first information they actually gave me. Wow. And they were 100% correct. I took a flight that actually turned to be a little, had a little turbulence there. And it was a little rocky shaky and totally fine. I made it there with absolutely no problems whatsoever.
1: That's fabulous. So you were in paradise. You were at this, palatial, this palatial medical facility in yep. Mexico.
2: Yep. My and, fantasy island, I call it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so so you get there and, and you did you have surgery at some point? I did. Or?
2: I had surgery in Mexico as well what they did was first they had to make sure that the tumor would not fracture. The biggest problem would be any part, like it's not uncommon in cancer surgeries for tumors to have a rip or a tear or blood to go and for cells to start flying around. That's how cancer actually spreads. If mine had done that, it would have killed me. Unlike some people, it just, it doesn't kill them. It just, uh, they have to then go through chemo and, all of that. So for mine, it was really about um, being able to get that under control. Then once they did that and they stabilized it, the whole game was how much could I take for it to stabilize and still be able to do a surgery where they could remove it safely. So they were playing a game with my body to see if they could keep me going um, as the tumor was starving, I, my body was also wasting, uh, cause cancer does do that. Yes. But, um, my fat, uh, was going way down. My, my fat body count was, uh, nearing the 4% mark, which was wow. very, very, very bad. You
1: were very lean,
2: very lean, very lean. Um, but <laughs> they said it was necessary because they had to get that tumor at a certain place. So they were playing with time, and then finally they found the window of time, and we went into the surgery, and boom, it came out like a baby.
1: Hang out for one second, because I want to yep. hear more about this when we get back, We're okay. we to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned, please, while we talk All to right. Gary Ramsey. Thanks.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you find that your journey to loving yourself is taking a long time? Here's your shortcut. Read Marla Goldberg's book, My Long Journey to Loving Myself, A Guide to a Shorter Path to Learn to Live a More Self-Loving Life. Order on Amazon or MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com. Have you ever wanted to scream, but you couldn't because of all the people who might hear you? Now, we have your answer. The original scream pillow. It can be used at work, the bathroom, in the closet, or anywhere you want to scream and not have everyone know what you're screaming about. Order yours today at MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com.
2: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed.
0: VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Guided Spirit Conversations. To reach Marla Goldberg or her guest today, you are invited to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, the address is GuidedSpiritConversations at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for staying tuned with us. I'm here with Gary Ramsey. So just to give you a little background on Gary, Gary is originally a Chicagoan. He lived on the south side of Chicago. And the way he brought up did not... Was the course he took for his profession was not one that was expected, and he became an opera singer and an actor, correct? And that is correct. Then in the summer of two thousand and fifteen, he was diagnosed with a horrendous diagnosis. And so, when we left off, we were in Mexico, and you just arrived at this facility that you called Paradise. Yep. They they worked on your tumor by, and that's what a lot of people say is like, when if you have cancer, stop eating sugar, stop eating meat, mm-hmm. go as much plant based as you can. Not everybody can be a vegetarian, Correct. but cut back as much as you can. And it really does help to stop the growth, especially if with a tumor.
2: Absolutely. And in Mexico, they called it a process of stabilization, stabilizing the tumor, which I hadn't heard before. But with my tumor being it was uh, so fragile, they wanted to stabilize it so that during the surgery, it could be removed whole and not um, what they would call fracture or rupture. And remember, I'm going back and it was in, you know, it was in Spanish. So um, it was it was uh, quite the journey, quite the journey.
1: And so you go into, you, I know that you had an, a type of an NDE without actually dying, near-death mm-hmm. experience. So where did this take place? Because I'm assuming it took place in Mexico. It absolutely
2: did. It, it absolutely did. It started uh, in a series of things. Um First, uh, at this facility, I had a team of doctors. And um, one of the first uh, appointments I did, the very first day I arrived, was a psychologist. Uh, They want to know how you're feeling. Of course, uh, the first question he asked was, how do you feel about dying if that happens? And so we talked about that. And then he asked me, what was your first death that you ever experienced, which was my grandmother. When I was seven years old, whom I was very, very uh, close to, very tied to. It was a very traumatic experience for me because, of course, seven, you don't really even get the concepts. Right. And um, I had a a profound uh, breakthrough, emotional, in that session about my grandmother and had realized all of the held back pain that I had really held back for eons about her and realizing that she had died fairly young and alone. um, And nobody could really figure out what was wrong with her. She had a very bizarre problem that they had misdiagnosed and misdiagnosed. And then finally things just went badly. And she passed away very, very quickly, actually at the age of uh, 66. And so, um, I, I after that, I was moved and it was like I could feel my grandmother and I felt what similar to how she may have felt when this, she was going through this. And then I had a dream about her. But it was one of those dreams you have where it's so real that it doesn't even feel like you dream. And of course, she came into my room in Mexico and she flew me out the window to where my father and his sister, my aunt, were. Now, all of these people have passed. My father was dead at that point, his sister, and she. They were all dead except for me. And I'm alive in the dream. They're dead. They know um, They know that I'm in trouble, but they're decorating me. And they're all very joyous, which was not uh, behaviorally, that was not their way. They were all very subdued people. They were all very on the serious side of life
1: would you say repressed repressed (laughs)
2: that's (laughs) a very good word and um um, unless they were drinking then then (laughs) she never drank but they drank then they would become you know uh very boisterous yeah (laughs) and more boisterous so i remembered in the dream feeling very very odd well i wake back up from the dream in my room And I know that the dream has a profound meaning, but I was very busy that morning, I had a lot to do. Uh, So I wrote down about the dream, but it came to me that it was a dream about that I was going to die. So at that moment, I felt like I really was going to be taken to death and that the treatment in Mexico would fail. And they did say, that the treatment is not guaranteed as as we know with all cancers you're never guaranteed but they did say i had a better chance in mexico than in the states so that's why i chose it and uh, i let that go well then um my sister had to come down for the surgery because mexico did say if something goes wrong and you do die you need a familial representative So they wouldn't do the surgery unless someone was there. So my sister came down and then while she was there, I had the dream again, except this time I was sure that I was going to die. It was like, this doesn't look, it looks like they're calling me over to their side. They're preparing me for the other side. And so uh, and again, the dream was very real. So I finally told her about the first dream and this dream. And I said, look, I'm really good with this. I want to go through with you and we want to settle things. And I want to make sure everything is the way I want it to be. And then I want you to cremate my body here. And I want you to cremate me. I took my favorite score, my my score of Rigoletto. I said, I want you to cremate me with this. <laughs> and um, then we went. Uh, then shortly after that, maybe a day or two, we went to the surgery. And then in the surgery, uh, when I went under, I was. it was um, a very tricky day. It was a very tricky day because my red blood cell count fell dramatically. And then they had to give me a transfusion. And then we had to wait for that to be right. And then when they took me, they took me very quickly. And when I woke up, uh, after they took me down, When I woke up, I thought I still hadn't had the surgery. But I was in the recovery room, but I didn't know that. And what do I see in the far part of the room is a woman, a beautiful, beautiful woman, who is dressed up very a la MGM glamour. (laughs) And she was just standing there. And at first I thought, maybe she's a nurse. And then I thought, no, she's too glamorous. She, I don't think... supposed to be here but then I looked over and there was a man at a desk but he didn't look real she looked real (laughs) and then I thought wait a minute why is he looking so weird and she looks so great and then she started to talk and I realized she was my grandmother oh wow then I couldn't understand what she was saying and I was like oh my god I know she's saying something very important I'm understanding it, but I don't understand the words. And I kept thinking this, you've got to speak clearer. You've got to talk clearer. And she, it was becoming more and more confusing. And then finally what happened is I noticed that I was extremely thirsty, like so thirsty. I, I couldn't stand it. And I immediately left her for a second to the guy at the desk. And I just, said, like, water, water, and he turned, and he looked at me, and he told me, no, you can't have water, and, you know, you're going to have to wait. They're coming for you. Don't worry about it, and then I'm thinking, they're coming for me. (laughs) I'm thinking, what's going on? So, I turned to my grandmother to ask her, and she's gone, and then I thought, Jesus, what was she trying to tell me? So, and what was weird is then when she left, he became more real. But before that, she was more real and he was less real. Now, I know I had had a lot of drugs because I realized that I did indeed have the surgery. He told me, he said, you're out of surgery. They're coming to take you back. And so I was like, oh, my God. So I was, got on this high because now I'm feeling like, I was on a high with her because I thought I died and I was on a high and now I'm alive and I'm on another high. And then they come to take me and they're talking to me and we're talking, we're going back and forth and they take me to the room and my sister's there and I, I tell her, I said, oh my God, it was incredible. And you should have seen Grandma's down there. And my sister is panicking and I'm like, what is wrong? And she goes, Gary. And I'm like, holy shit, what's going on? And she goes, English, English. And I'm like, English? (laughs) I'm thinking, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And then it dawned on me, I wasn't speaking in English. I was speaking in Spanish, which I am able to do. And I thought, oh, my God, I thought I was speaking in English. And then I'm thinking, why couldn't I understand my grandmother? And then I thought, wait, maybe because she speaks English. But then things started getting crazy. And then I had a lot of people in the room and people were moving me back to the bed. And then I was able to talk to my sister and I said, Graham was down in the surgery room. She said, what did she say? And I said, I don't know. She said something and she told me a lot of things, but I can't, I don't know what they were. And do you know, within about four hours after that, I fell off to sleep and I remembered everything she said. Wow! Every single thing. And I woke up and and woke my sister up and made her write it down. But uh, basically, my grandmother had thanked me for everything I had gone through. And she said something to the effect of, you have no idea what you have done for all of us on this side. Wow. Now, the dream was originally about her, my father, and my aunt. But she... It was clear that it was all of them. I had done something really great for all of them through having this surgery. And my sister and I were like, how? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And at the time, I didn't really understand it. But I knew I had done something really profound for them. And I later, before I left Mexico, found out exactly what that was. Which was? Well, I had gone to a therapy called the body code and I worked with a practitioner who basically, um, you know, worked with my energy and said, oh my goodness. She said, whatever your surgery was about, it had to do with spiritual heredity. And I looked at her and I said, what is that? And she said, well, just like you have heredity when you're born, you have spiritual heredity. She said, and you healed something big in your family tree. And it was like, are you kidding me? And she said, no, and she's doing it. And I didn't even tell her like anything about my grandmother, about any of this. And she said, and it's on your father's side. And it came from your father's mother, which was my grandmother. That was the one that was in the surgery with me. And I was like, I mean, I could have fallen off that chair. She said, and what you've done is you've spiritually healed a heredity that has been passed down for generations. But she said, but it came to your grandmother from her father, which I found stunning because I knew that she had a very close and deep relationship with her father. And she passed it on to him, or he passed it on to her. And she told me that your grandmother got very sick and her death came about suddenly, which was true. And she said, in a moment of panic, your grandmother had to do something with it. And she saw you just before she died, which was true. And she said she passed it to you because she felt you were the best equipped to deal with. And she passed that heredity, that thing on to me. And it was one of the events, the last event I ever remember with my grandmother.
1: And so when you heard this news, what was your reaction?
2: You could have knocked me over with a feather. I could not believe how much this woman was telling me. I could not believe how what had happened in the surgery had hooked up and in the dreams. I could not believe that, that I was in some way chosen um, to do battle with this quote-unquote serpent, this, but, which turned out to be really my cancer, which looked like a serpent. The tumor actually looked kind of like a serpent. It actually looked, um, it, it was like a, a serpent arm coming out of the kidney. And that was one of the most mind blowing events. And, and well, it was so funny. They even called the tumor a branching tumor, which, you know, like your family tree, a family tree has branched.
1: It does. And
2: it's coming off of that branch and (laughs) kidney represented um, fear and a sense of hopelessness is what I was told um, by the woman. And she said, you have healed that through your spiritual heredity through this procedure. She said, you you have made so many people on that side of your family, you have freed them. And that's pretty much what I was told in the dream. And so uh, I was blown away thinking that this journey of this disease that we all know about this cancer uh, that is on earth was not really about the cancer. It was really about this Spiritual journey, which is why I called my uh, book "Bliss: One Hero's Journey," because I realize that we're all heroes on our journey, marching forward to create our bliss, to create our um, sense of purpose in this world.
1: Well, by and- cleaning up your what you cleaning up, what you've cleaned up. What's beautiful is when it comes time to reincarnate this might have followed them through to their next lifetime or their next lifetime. And you have now stopped it in its tracks. I mean, you've got to feel pretty, pretty honored by that.
2: Oh, I felt amazing when all the pieces fell together. I was euphoric. I I felt like I had been reborn. I literally felt like I was like, I really did die and I was reborn.
1: And what about your sister? How did she react to all of this that you told her about the body code and
2: Stunned, stunned. And and she wasn't even in Mexico any longer when the body code appointment happened. I told her that all over the phone because Mm -hmm. she had to leave. She had to go back because she had already stayed there, you know, for a while. And um, she was completely blown away. And I write about this in the book because the journey that we are all on is so much more profound than what we think of it to be.
1: We're going to stop right here. We're going to talk about how profound things are when we come back. We've got to take a break. Stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa,
2: play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: Do you find that your journey to loving yourself is taking a f***ing long time? Here's your shortcut. Read Marla Goldberg's book, My F***ing Long Journey to Loving Myself, A Guide to a Shorter Path to Learn to Live a More Self-Loving Life. Order on Amazon or MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com you ever wanted to scream, but you couldn't because of all the people who might hear you? Now, we have your answer. The original scream pillow. It can be used at work, the bathroom, in the closet, or anywhere you want to scream and not have everyone know what you're screaming about. Order yours today at MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com
1: your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are listening to Guided Spirit Conversations. To reach Marla Goldberg or her guest today, you're invited to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, the address is guidedspiritconversations at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for staying with this show and this conversation with Gary Ramsey. It is, I, I'm telling you, this story has me on the edge of my seat because it's got so many ups and downs and twists and turns, But it and it's powerful, and it's powerful with its profoundness, which we're going to go talk about in a second, but before we do, it's charity shout-out time. So first, let me do two things. Gary is a near-fatal cancer uh, survivor, and we were talking about his story about the cancer and how it helped, and how he wrote his book, Bliss: One Hero's Journey, which you can get on Amazon. So if you want to look up GaryRamsey.org, you can find out more information about Gary, his his journey, what he's experienced. And you might be, you know, he might be able to help guide your way if you're you're running into a very difficult diagnosis yourself, Um, but it's charity shout out time. And since Gary was an actor and an opera singer, his charity is the Actors Fund. So let's talk about the Actors Fund for a few minutes before we get back to conversation.
2: It is. Yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a remarkable group, what they do for actors as they age, as they are no longer able to perform, as they're falling into hard times, and how they really yes. support these people and take care of them through to um, their passing.
1: Yeah, and I shared with you, my friend's aunt is in one of the actors' homes in New York. Um, I think it's in New York City. I'm not quite sure if she's there or somewhere else, but she's got dementia. And so she's in the mental. I know there's a term for it and I'm not saying it correctly, so I apologize. But it has to do with the memory uh, part of the home. So Mm -hmm. they can help her with that. But, you know, it's amazing and they have fun and they sing. And it's, it's, you know, look at actors, theater people. It does make a difference if you're behind or in front. There is some... Great colorful stories that they share and mm-hmm. get involved in some you know fun activities. They're usually gregarious people, even though they might be what I call introverted extroverts. <laughs> they still like to you know perform.
2: Yes, absolutely. It never dies.
1: <laughs> never dies. so that's a beautiful thing. So um, to get a hold of the actors fund, it's uh, www wait, I just had it. Actorsfund.org. So please look at Actorsfund.org. Check it out. They really do a lot for people who have really put entertained us for years and years and years and now they're getting older and they it's it's like a retirement home for actors. And and for those who don't have the money, they help pay their way, I believe, mm-hmm. for the, for staying at the homes. Yes. So it's it's really That's really good. And I'm sure the actors are having such a hard time now because of COVID and all the theaters being closed down.
2: Oh, incredible. Yep.
1: You know, I think this is unprecedented, even in the Spanish flu time. I don't think it was as as dismal as this in regards to how long Broadway has been shut down in all the theaters in -hmm. all the cities.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So helping them will be is is really important because they, too, have needs. So, yes, as we all. Yes. So let's get back to that profound experience um, that, you know, when you realized that you would stop the lineage, you know, the heritage from being reincarnated for having this illness because your grandmother had this illness.
2: Um, yeah, it wasn't exactly this, but her illness was never fully diagnosed. We really don't know what started it, just that things escalated.
1: Well, we don't even need to know what started it, really, mm-hmm. but it's what it was and how it affected her and how her quick demise. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Which, which, in a way, is probably a blessing in the sense that back then, when your grandmother was, might, might have been diagnosed with something like what you have, they probably didn't have the same kind of medical miracles as they do today, Absolutely, the knowledge that they have.
2: Absolutely.
1: So stopping that is amazing. So now you've you've, you've, come, now you've come back from your diagnosis and you're healthy again. Where do you take your life?
2: Well, uh, I, you know, my life remains in a state of bliss, I have to be honest. Um, even during this pandemic and all of these things going on, I, I don't any longer, uh, and I mentioned it just a little while ago, I feel as though I really did die, even though I know I didn't die. Yes. But that person that I was with anxieties or fears or, you know, uh, things, uh, you know, trepidations about what was to come in the future that has really died. And now in the state that I currently am, I don't look at it the same way anymore. I no longer perceive life, anything in life as a, a, a problem, a detriment disaster uh even if it is i don't perceive it that way i i see it that there is somewhere the blessing is here and that this is coming to me for growth this is coming to me as an opportunity just as my cancer did this is not coming to me because of something bad or because i did something bad or someone else did something bad it's coming because It's a necessary new step in a new direction.
1: I look at everything as a stepping stone to growth. I mean, you can look at it as in in everything, you can find a lesson, opportunity or gift or a combination of, it's all how you do it. And we were talking about perception and perception is huge when you're given a diagnosis. So why don't you share with your feelings about that?
2: Because, uh, you know, when I was out there, I mean, here in the States, all the doctors that i knew about my case said this was deadly and I would die and the chances of me surviving were minuscule whereas in Mexico they had a completely different perspective and they said we feel your chances are much better even though you still could possibly die you have a much better chance and when I asked the doctor well what is it like it's the same tumor they were looking at the same pictures the same reports and they said, it's our perspective. We do not view it from a deadly perspective. In the States, it's viewed as deadly because they don't do the treatments we do. They don't see it the way that we see it. They don't work with the tumor. They try to operate on it and do surgery and pull it out. And usually that's what messes everything up because if you just yank this thing out, it's gonna, it's gonna break. And if it breaks... You're going to die. So that was when it hit me like a ton of bricks perspective. And isn't that true of all of life, Marla? It
1: is. It's so true.
2: All perspective. Um, What, you know, is one man's, you know, uh, tragedy is another man's good fortune. And I started realizing that uh, our perspective can always be shifted in a heartbeat. Yes. And Mexico helped me to shift my perspective about this deadly tumor. And so that's what I do with people. Um, And I do have a lot of people that contact me. They have terrible, terrible uh, crisis situations, um, cancer situations that are just, and I get it. I've been there, I've done it. And uh, the one message I always want to get across is that if you can shift your perspective and go about it with more fearlessness and less fear, you are going to have a much more fabulous journey, no matter what the end result, because people always, I think they put death up, just like people did with me, you know, there's death, and this is horrible, horrible, horrible. Well, first of all, I realize on my journey, death is not horrible.
1: It's not horrible.
2: Death is a natural part of life, and every moment is dying and being reborn. Everything is dying and being reborn.
1: I love that. It's a great so, way to look at it. Yeah. And,
2: and why not realize that we die and we also are reborn every day. And that even when we hit the big die, it doesn't mean we're not reborn. And so, and because I do feel like I really have come back and I am not the same person that I was, that's really what I promote to people no matter how their journey ends. I think the ending is irrelevant. I think the journey is all.
1: Well, it is the all. And the other part of it is, I don't know if you're aware of this, but when you take your last breath, you can you can really plan for your transition and what happens in your transition. So if you die and you've got anger going on, you're going to go to a place with spirits with like-minded Belief systems, with the anger, yes, with the issues. If you go and you're peaceful and you're joyful and you know that this is going to be this beautiful outcome, then you're going to go to a place where it's easy and it's beautiful and loving and everything you hear about.
2: Absolutely, and I was determined on my journey that no matter what, no matter how horrible, I was not going to go out a victim. I was not going to go out someone who was... um, Regretting or or fearful or terrified, I was not going to do it. I was yeah. going to meet it with as much bliss and as much joy as I possibly could
1: then what a great way to to end this this interview because <laughs> it just you know it's a great reminder for everyone to look for you know the silver lining, look for the bright side, even if you think it's not bright or people around you are saying, Oh my God, how horrible, how horrible' Well, nobody thinks getting sick is is a happy, joyful thing, but how you handle it, if you handle it with ease and grace or grace in general, then at the end, you end up with an outcome that will be smooth and graceful and easy and joyful, or you say blissful.
2: Absolutely. And that really was my journey. Every challenge was melted away, and it, the only problems I would ever encounter is where I started becoming afraid, and then I would catch it, and I'd go, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? It's not going to help.
1: Oh, Gary, this has been a great conversation. I am so happy you're on the show today. Oh, it was I a think,
2: delight to be here.
1: Thank you so much. So everyone on Amazon, bliss. One Hero's Journey by Gary Ramsey. Check Gary out at garyramsey.org. Um, and look, at if you're going through a difficult time, he is a great person to reach out to because he can guide you from his perspective because it's all perspective. And maybe something he can offer you will shift yours and make your situation more palatable, more understanding, or maybe bring that bliss into your life as well. So, Gary, again, thank you very much. Oh,
2: thank you so much. Many blessings.
1: Many blessings to you. And (laughs) much bliss. And much bliss. I love bliss. And I want to thank everyone at Voice America for all you do for me. Thank you for getting the show up and running. I want to thank Bridget, my assistant. You're my right hand, left hand. So grateful for you each and every day. I also want to talk to you, uh, if you please check out my website, Marla Goldberg with two R's, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com. My crowdfunding page for the Global Consciousness Development Circle has launched. Please check it out. We're giving away great perks in exchange for the contributions. And if you don't know what the Global Consciousness Circle is, it is the definitive online educational platform with the most preeminent teachers and the most phenomenal community. So please check that out. If you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, review. Would love to hear from you. Would love to hear what who you might like to hear being interviewed or what topics you might want to hear. Um, we're in November. It's a month of gratitude. So. As I leave you, as always, I send you gratitude. I send you love and I send you blessings. And I look forward to the next time. And please tune in on Sunday on the Variety Channel at voiceamerica.com. Take care.